In a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. And today, tomorrow, always. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Mr. Dewey H. Huffy, an independent tobacco auctioneer of Reedsville, North Carolina, was born and raised in the tobacco business. He said, Season after season, I've seen the makers of Lucky Strike buy tobacco that's mild, ripe, and mellow. Fine tobacco that tastes good and smokes good. I've smoked Lucky's myself for 29 years. Year after year, independent tobacco experts like Mr. Huffine, auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen, can see the makers of Lucky Strike consistently select and buy that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. Fine, light, naturally mild tobacco. Real Lucky Strike tobacco. Yes, L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. And fine tobacco means real deep-down smoking enjoyment for you. So smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. Say, Mary, that department store was certainly crowded, wasn't it? It sure was. And they had so many people working there. There was Mel Blank, Gerald Moore, Frank Nelson, Benny Rubin... Viola Vaughn, Artie Auerbach, Sandy Bickard, Pete Leeds, Elliot Lewis. And you know those little wooden soldiers that sang? Yeah. Sounded just like that quartet, the sportsman. I was going to mention my writers, too, but they wouldn't even come in for the show. They stayed in Palm Springs. I hope they run out of suntan oil. Good night, folks. <laughs> National Broadcasting Company. Well, Merry Christmas in July. I hope all you're doing well here, July 18th, here, 2009. And hello, Patricia. Show true. You can give us a call at 714-545-2071. We're still looking for a call from New York, if you're still up. We'll take a call from the West Coast, too. We won't bar the West Coast. We'll take a call from the Midwest, the central part of the country, Florida, Canada, Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> and all in between. And everything in between. Yeah. 714-545-2071. Let us know what you, how you spend your Christmas in July. We would appreciate it. And somebody has to come up with the name of Lemon Abner's hometown. Lemon Abner's hometown. Where did they live? Where did the John Store Rainbow Famous Chimes opening show? If you know, you can give us a call at 714-545-2071, and you can make Patricia a happy gal. Yes, make me happier than I already am. <laughs> <laughs> Having a wonderful time. And thank you for letting me pick out the shows. Well, hey, I, I'm just glad we have them, you know. Oh, my gosh. You know, I mean, I get my favorite shows. I get to talk with you. I yeah. get to celebrate Christmas in July. What more could have I don't know. I think you should be pretty happy about that. I am. I could take a call from New York. 
714-545-2071. I know the call from New York because I do get them. Maybe too early. Generally happens around 3 in the morning when I get them. But uh, New York, uh, California calling for you. 714-545-2071. Let us know. That's Patricia Holmes stopping ground. She probably wants to make sure if it's still there. Still there. Still there. Having left. See how the gardens grow. Yeah. That's okay. We'll find out. We will find out. Mm, mm, okay. Mm. Christmas memories. Yes. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. Well, let me see here. Well, I guess the, the, the most famous one in my family is Christmas Eve 1978. Okay. Uh, a date that we'll always remember in the huge household. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we will explain what happened Christmas Eve, 1978. Well, I live at my, um, where the house I live in now, is, my grandmother had it. She, uh, bought this house and the house that we used to live in in 1968. And three blocks from each, three blocks apart. And so, of course, we would come over to grandmother to be my mom's mom. Uh, side to spend the holidays, you know. Christmas Eve and Christmas Day generally. She would come over. She, my my uncle Walden, uh, when my aunt Kay Lou passed away, he would come out and spend the winter in California. So it was always a big, big celebration. So Christmas Eve in this house where I'm standing at, 1978, will never be forgotten. We have my grandmother, my uncle Walden, who I was named for, Uncle Wad, as we call him. Um, my my dad. Uh, mother and sister, and traditionally the family had a choice for our Christmas Eve meal, either oyster stew or chili at this time. Uh, and so some of us had chili, others had oyster stew. We open up, we generally open up our Christmas gifts from out of town on Christmas Eve. So we came home. And went to bed waiting for Santa Claus. And just before 10 o'clock, around 10 o'clock, I started to get uh, sick. And I tried to make it to the bathroom and I couldn't. And this was the night where we, the different members of the family started to get sick. And I got it, then my brother got it, then my poor mom started to got it. And my dad never got sick. He ate the oysters too. And we know it wasn't the chili. So somehow the bug hit us. So we didn't really celebrate Christmas, Christmas Day. And so Dad would open up the champagne uh, and walk up and down the hall and wish us all a Merry Christmas. <laughs> and and, and uh, my, my brother, my brother um, at this time loved animals. Animals loved my brother. And we had a cat named Sylvester, and he was a special cat. He was a, an old warrior tom cat. Uh, in 1976, they dropped off a bunch of cats in our neighborhood, and Sylvester decided to adopt us. You know, we didn't adopt Sylvester; he just adopted us. And my mom, through her grand, her mom's taste than like cats. And so she would tell my brother, do not feed the cat. 
Well, the cat got fed. Okay. Phil, whoop. The cat cannot come into the house. <laughs> okay. That lost that bell, Phil. The cat cannot stand up, you know, sleep on the sofa. So, my mother was gradually losing the battle with my brother and the cat. And it was a special relationship. So when my brother went off to school, because he and my brother and I, uh, having handicaps, we wouldn't go, get a chance to go to school that was right across the street from us. And uh, so my brother had to get on a bus and go about five minutes away. So when he got on his bus, Sylvester the cat uh, would go across the street. Oh, no. And he had a bed in every classroom. Oh, my gosh. He had a bed in the principal office. And he would visit everybody. He would visit the P PTA meetings. He loved kids. Kids could do anything with them. He did not appreciate adults. They used to have fundraisers for, uh, made the t-shirts, which the Sylvester on it. They named the sand boat the USS Sylvester. Yes, um, but they didn't know who Sylvester belonged to, because any time the cat got sick, they would bring him over to my dad and say, You need to take Mr. Pretty Cat to the vet. My dad, dad often threatened, I wonder if I can send the $300 vet, vet bills to the PTA. I wonder if they would help out. But, <laughs> but uh, so... For offered, huh? Yeah, so this is sort of a, this is the dynamic you're, you're unpainting the picture, everybody. Okay. My my brother class project this fall season was to have a, a bird, a quail, and take care of it. And the quail my brother bought home had his own bird cage. And I always say the quail died a fight because Sylvester would lay around the cage, lay on top of the cage. You know, I mean, can you imagine a, a fully grown com tomcat and the quail there? Anyway, quail number one uh, didn't survive. Sylvester never never got his paws on it. So I always said he died a fight. Well, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. <laughs> yeah. So my brother's friend had uh, asthma, so, and he couldn't be allowed to keep his pet, the quail. So my brother got to bring home quail number two. Okay. Dad said, you know, Sylvester's going to have that for Christmas dinner one this year. This was months out. Mm-hmm. We weeks later, getting closer, closer, closer. Christmas Day. Well, she's family sick, death for dad. And like all neighborhoods, you know, the neighborhood kids want to come over to see what you got for Christmas, right? So our friend Brian, when Joey came over to see my brother Christmas Eve, Christmas afternoon day, just to see what he had. And they were in my brother's bedroom. And Sylvester the cat was sleeping on my brother's bed. And Brian went over to the birdcage, which was in the same room, opened it up. The quail popped out, oh. flew over the bed. Sylvester leaped and went underneath the bed and had a Christmas dinner. End of quail number in, two. End of quail number two. 
and we did celebrate Christmas that year the day after. Oh, my. So that's... Ray, Ray calls in, they ate the lamb yes. in the bathroom. Yep. Sylvester ate the quail that was in the cage. Yes. They led a very uneventful life, I guess. Well, what sticks out in your memory? Anything about the weather? Anything about gift? Anything about family tradition? What did Patricia remember? Family. That's interesting. Um, we, we didn't establish too many traditions. Um, I do remember my bicycle. You, you did mention that yep. before. I was, I was six. I was in first grade, <clears throat> and that's all I wanted. I had learned how to ride a big bike. A wow. Bike, uh, because the kids in the neighborhood all had them. And, uh, you know, they were really neat. I, I had never even thought about this before, that it, it was really nice that they shared. I'd say, could I ride your bike? Could I ride your bike? And I learned how to ride a bike by myself. And I did not care if it was a secondhand bike. It really would have been okay. I mean, my, my folks did not have an awful lot, and it was pretty skimpy growing up in some ways. And I got a new bicycle, um, and it was just beyond expectations. It was royal blue. Blue, okay. A royal blue, and it had a, a wicker basket in the front. Oh, yeah. And the thing was an adult-sized bike. <laughs> I was six years old, you know. And, I mean, it was fine with me. It's just that I couldn't pedal unless I was standing up. And, um, you know. I, I guess your folks wanted to make sure that you could grow with the bike. That's exactly what my father said. <laughs> We wanted you. We wanted something that would last for a while. You should grow into it. I mean, it was like a suit with kids. Yeah. So that was my bicycle. But um, it, it really is a nice memory because it was so special, and I knew that it had. Um, you know, I still believed in Santa Claus at the time, and I knew. That, <laughs> I mean, my parents got screwed up a little bit one time, and I said, "Do people have to pay for what Santa Claus brings?" And my mother said, well, "Of course they do." <laughs> in my mind that Santa Claus charged moms and dads for this stuff, you know? And uh, so I, I knew it was, even at that, when still believing in Santa Claus, I knew it was a stretch oh, for my parents, but I got my bicycle, and it was wonderful. I had it right, I rode it right through college. So my... Hey, I guess your dad planned it out. He planned it very well. But the one tradition, if indeed it was a tradition, was... Uh, my uncle and five cousins lived in the same town where we spent most of our growing up years. And on Christmas, we would go to visit Uncle Larry and Francis and all of the kids. And what made it special was that they had a train set that got set up only at Christmas time every year. It must have taken them three weeks worth of time packed in one evening because they would put it up Christmas Eve for the kids, and it ran around and under the tree, and every year something was added, so it was always a new experience for the kids and for us, and, you know, that was kind of special that we... That is amazing. Train. Got to play with the train, and that, that was really neat. They were nice people. I mean, we, we all got along well. Um, I had one of my cousins is a year younger, just, a, just close to a year younger than I, so... We were close in age and, and did things that kids don't do, like play chess. <laughs> 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 it sounds 
sounds funny now because kids don't do things like that, but um, we would get lost in a chess game periodically and had his mother hysterical one night because we lost track of time. <laughs> he was at my house, and she called, and it was 5.30 in the morning. Oh, my. We were still poring over the chessboard. Sure. Having just a grand time and had truly lost track of time, and it was snowing. We were in the middle of the snowstorm, didn't even realize that it had started to snow. So... Anyway, that's it, the trains and the bicycle. I, I thought that was really cool that they did that for the kids. You know how old you were when you first learned chess? I think I was about 12 when I learned how to play chess. I started, um, I, it was my dad who taught me. Mm -hmm. He was a good chess player, so the real joy of my life was when I checkmated. <laughs> <laughs> Which wasn't terribly often, but oh my gosh, did it make me smile when I did. Mm -hmm. And I guess I was probably 10 or 11, I would guess 11, when I first started playing. It's a great game. It's a great game, and it's a brain game. And if you're not playing with someone who is out to kill, it's a really fun way to spend some time. Yeah. Good brain exercise. But anyway, Raymond and I... Did you play any other board games as a kid? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Did you play Monopoly or Scrabble or anything else like that? My brothers are so much older than I, and they were the ones who had board games. Mm -hmm. um, and so my sister and I didn't, I don't think we played very much in the board game mm -hmm. area. Wow. I know, speaking of summer, that's what my, my mom did. Um... Played they played a lot of boy game because it was so darn hot, oh, and you didn't have you, you didn't have air conditioning back in the forties. Mm -mm. You know, uh, they had the outdoor porch where they would sleep and play boy games like Monopoly and things like that. Mm -hmm. They didn't have Christmas in July. No, no, no. Um, I I think that's a a really neat invention, and thank you, Lynn Noyce, for uh, for your contribution on that. <laughs> Cool. Really. 714-545-2071 uh, is our number. We'd love to ha have another call if you up and about. And I know you are. 714-545-2071. Uh, uh, tomorrow will be sort of a special day. We are approaching the 40th anniversary of the moon landing. And our late friend, Dr. Dale... Uh, gave me six hours of tel CBS television coverage of the moon landing. Oh wow! And so we'll be we will be featuring a lot of his material that he gave me tomorrow night. What a great gift! And uh, we'll start off with the mutual radio broadcast of the uh, the, the, the the ship going out. Mm -hmm. And then once I'm done with Dr. Michael, we will feature. Uh, the landing on the moon and the walk, and so, to me, who, you know, I was only three years old when that happened, uh, and sitting down this week listening to that, it got me quite a feel what America was going through, mm -hmm. you know, and that is probably, I mean, most people who know me, I have a passion for U.S. history, and I think part of the reason why. We have the audio samples, and I can study it and be interested in so many facets of it. 
think to recordings like uh, what we'll play tomorrow, the moon landing, and uh, of course during the old time radio days, World War Two, and all the things that you know you don't read in the book. Because uh, you know a, a textbook on uh, who just devote one chapter couldn't really explain what the country is going through in terms of rationing and uh, uh, what the people are going through, the gold star mothers, things like that. Who generation before us knew because they lived through it, mm-hmm. but our generation and uh, never go- went through that. Radio and recording is a way for us to get a feel what the country is going through. Much more accurate snapshot than we can get out of history books. This speaks to what you and I have touched on at different times, using old-time radio as a medium for history learning for kids. And it's an entertainment medium, and it is just loaded with historic information that they can't get anywhere else. They could not get it anywhere else. In New York. Hell, well, we'll find out where you think it might be. Hello, caller. Hi, I thought I'd give you your East Coast call. Well, good. And you're calling from? Oh, Vermont. Well, that's good. It's not New York City, but, you know. We'll take Vermont. I bet Patricia been in Vermont. Have you, Patricia? Uh, one time. I ate cheese. It's <laughs> wonderful. Hi, I missed your name. Would you tell me again, please? It's Fred. Hi, Fred. Oh, you've called before, right? Yeah, a couple times. Well, I do recognize your name. How are you? Good. How are you? I am fine, thank you. And it's, (coughs) excuse me, it's too late for you to be up, and I'm so glad you are. Oh, it's never too late to be up. I sleep when I die. (laughs) People don't go to sleep late enough. They miss part of the best hours of the day. Yes, that's true. Um, Do you know Lemon Abner's hometown? No, I don't. Oh, no! No, I've been trying to rack my head all night trying to think of it, and I couldn't come up with it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, answer the trivia question. Um, I wanted to sit for a while ago, uh, there were fellow lion members. You are? Well, con- I am. My goodness gracious. Yep. Anything your, your lion club doing as a fundraiser in the next couple of months? What's, it, what's the big thing for you guys to do? During the year. We used to do a huge, uh, we don't do it anymore, unfortunately. We used to do a huge dinner dance, which was kind of a unique idea. What we did was we, we'd go around town, we, we would charge $10 for the dinner dance, and that would be for the Lions Club. Mm-hmm. And then we would go around town, we would get all these um, businesses to donate prizes. Yep. And for every can of food somebody brought in for the food shelf, you'd get a ticket. Wow. Have drawings for all these door prizes. And we would, we would go, we would, like, truckload the food for the food shelf every year. Because people would wait for that, and they would all, you know, stock up on their canned foods, and... What? Uh, it was kind of a neat, neat thing. Um, now our big thing is we sell... We have a huge 4th of July parade here in town. It's probably the biggest in New England. Uh-huh. And we do, uh... Um, chicken barbecue with that. Wow. Oh, half chicken. And at the parade, like uh, homespun, anybody get you know get, get uh, bring out whatever they want to ride on or whatever they want to yeah. play and. Pretty much, and it's it's huge. We have a we have bands from all over to England show up for it. It's really big. Yep. It's uh, 
What surprises me, because we're not a very big town. We're just a little tiny town. But we we do we do the fourth right. We do it upright. Sounds like it. You know, if, if you think about it, the 4th of July and Labor Day, at least out here on the West Coast, it's about the only time we get to see bands. See the, the old marching bands or the, uh, the, the, the ones that would play Stars and Stripes Forever, the patriotic view. I mean, to think mm-hmm. this, this is a time of the year when America would celebrate uh, its patri- patriotic roots with a music like that. Well, that's true. And it's nice to hear. Yeah. You know, um, matter of fact, I, I am a member also of the Sons of the American Legion, so I'm fortunate enough that I get to march in the parade every year. Uh-huh. And we got right behind our local high school band this year, which was kind of neat. Oh. Um, that is good. And we also got to be up front, so we got to see the whole parade, too. <laughs> get to finish it, and then you get to see it, you know? So I kind of got the best of both worlds. Oh, my gosh. But, uh, well, I love this Christmas and July idea. Well, you, you guys, thank Patricia for uh, saying, "Wong, well, let's do it." And thank you, Patricia. We 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 we've made people happy this this year. Oh, thank you for doing it. I'm really having a wonderful time. Christmas in July is something that we should do all over the world. Well, I think Christmas should be in July because I don't like winter, but I love Christmas. <laughs> well, you I can... love summer, you know. So yeah. it's kind of a. <laughs> You're gonna have to have artificial sleigh bells, I guess. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I can I can deal with winter in Vermont right up until about January first. That's a, that's a hard time. February used to be my rough month. It, it was um, gray, overcast. We usually had old snow. It wasn't brand new, fresh stuff, and yeah, it would get to me. So I guess that's what you're talking about in uh, January, huh? It gets long. Yeah, January and February are very long months here. You know, it's kind of like you're waiting for spring. You know, dark at 5 o'clock at night and cold and, you know, the snow is fine, but it gets old after a while. Especially when it starts piling up on your roof and you got to shovel it and <laughs> it, it gets old. It's nice when it first comes, you know, after the summer goes away and you got fall and then the leaves all fall off the tree and everything's brown and dead and you get that first snowstorm and it's gorgeous. And it's nice, and, and but after about two months of that, I'm ready for flowers. And it gets old. Yep, it's 70 degrees again, you know. Well, when you say we have to shovel the roof, but it's true. Oh, it is. It is. You don't, I, have a, I have a porch roof that's not quite, it's not pitched real well, and it just collects snow. And if I didn't get higher, so, I have arthritis, so I can't do it myself. Thank God I live in a small town because friends are wonderful. I have people that come by and help me with it. But if I didn't get it done, I, the, the, I, we had enough stones last year, it probably would have caved the roof in. Sure, sure. And that stuff gets heavy, especially when it starts to melt. Yep. And refreeze and melt, and you've got ice up there, and oh my gosh. Yeah, it can get nasty. Well, you're preaching to the choir here, I understand. Yep. <laughs> you probably don't have that problem out in California, do you, Walton? Uh-uh. I don't know anything about those types of things. No. Although I hear, uh, with the weather pattern changing, you guys might be getting some more... Well, you know, I, I have friends around the country who really believe that someday uh, California will just fall into the Pacific Ocean. I don't know if they just say that just because they want to think I'm going to leave, but... Uh, <laughs> 
you know, but uh, they keep threatening, you know. The one thing people don't understand is we're, you know, we're not as big a thought while here on the East Coast as you guys are on the West Coast. Oh, I know. I know. I, I, don't, I, I often have thought about that, really. The houses out here are designed in many ways, if they're new enough, to have a, a give. Right. And a lot of places between the Midwest or the Northeast, if you're on a fault, it, not, not, right. yeah, it, it, the possibility of being bigger, it, it, bigger damage. Yep, and I worry about it because because we are less active. Yeah. You know, the way I look at it, being a mathematical mind, you know, we're less active, so aren't the probabilities higher that we're going to get active? You know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, I want you guys go. I just wanted to call and say hi. So I'm all about ready to call it a night, I think. Well, continue One to... One minute. Continue at 2.30 in the morning. I, I think you've been a good sport to stay up this late, you know? Well, I'll probably leave, leave my computer on listening to you guys as I go to sleep. Fred? Yeah? Don't go away. I have one question for you, and you've got to answer it. Okay. All right. We have a whole bunch of old-time radio shows, and the names of the shows had a color in them. I'll, I'll give you a hint. The Green Hornet. Give I love this already. You, pardon? You had this already once before. This is the, oh, see, I sneaked one out of the old files. Okay, go ahead. Give uh, me I want one. it. Uh, that's okay, you can win again. Okay, how many do you need to know? Just two. Just two with cars in them? Uh-huh. Two, two shows with cars in them? Yep. Red Rider. Okay. You already gave me the Green Hornet, that would have been my second guess. Uh, Boston Blackie. You got it. Okay. Dynamite. Okay, you have to send me an email with your address. Okay, and your email is? Florida Writer. Word. Florida Writer. At Hotmail. At Hotmail. Dot com. Okay, Florida Writer, no numbers or anything? Nope, just Florida Writer. At Hotmail dot com. That's it, and I'll read to you the discs that you can have. You can have a Fibber McGee and Molly Christmas shows. Okay. The Great Gildersleeve Christmas Shows, 100 Christmas Shows, a variety of them. Okay. Or a collection of Christmas music. I'll take the 100 Christmas Shows. The 100 Christmas Shows. You. Yes. Okay, all I need is your address. Florida.com, you got it. Okay, thank you. Okay, have a nice night, guys. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, you never know. Yeah, I had to switch phones here. I hope that's okay. That's fine. I had to get, just boop you up, and we're okay. Yeah, okay. My headset um, started chirping at me, which means the battery was low. Beep, 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 That's exactly, beep, beep. Doing. exactly what it was doing. Okay, so what you got next? What I got next, we can give out a phone number again before we get into another Patricia request, 714-545-2071. Patricia wanted to hear and December 24th, 1944, Jack Benny show before she runs off the bed. So I figured, you know, I, I don't know how long Patricia's going to stay up with me. So I figured that our next offering, we'll just go with the Jack Benny show. That would be great. And then a Damon Runyon the next time. Okay, you want, you got I got that queued up. I also have queued up uh, the both Damon Runyon. Which one do you want? The the Dancing Christmas, Danny Christmas or the Palm, Palm Beach Christmas? 
Long Beach Christmas was an extra special good one. I like that one. Ah, that is good. I want to, you know, Boston Blackie, for those of you who, well, excuse me, I want, we, Fred won, won the trivia by using Boston Blackie, but Dangerous uh, Damon Runyon Theater was produced by Alan Ladd, the movie star. He had his own radio production company starting in 1949. He produced Box 13 and Damon Runyon Theater. Uh, Vern Carson, who's the announcer on this, is still with us. He was just sort of assistant producer for the series. And uh, this was done in 1949, and it was put on Mutual. And occasionally, I think, radio stations that uh, Mutual was touring in the 49th Diffie uh, started to expand their rosters and to take uh, independent product projects, and uh, they also were expanding into the MGM uh, shows. So that's a little history of the Damon Runyon Theater when we hear that in a little while. Okay, I have a question for you when we do hear that. Okay, we will answer that so then. The, the character who begins the narration of the story. Yes. Sounds like John Brown. It is John Brown. It is John Brown. Yep. Okay, because there was no attribution for him anywhere in the show that I could hear. Right. And I thought, this surely, please don't tell me this is another <laughs> Got to be John Brown. So I feel better. Thank you very much. You got good ears, Patricia. Oh, I hope so. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. 714-545-2071. I know there are people up in New York. If you're not bashful, give us a call. What we I, need to know is where Lum and Abner live. Lum and Abner. If you know where Lum and Abner live, I think Patricia will reward you with a, a, a small gift. 714-545-2071. And I'll give you a hint. This, the town does really exist. So if you want to Google it. And we have 892 million towns in this. <laughs> well, I was trying to help them out, Patricia. They said if it really didn't exist, that would be another 10 million ideas, right? No, but there is a charming story that goes with it. I interrupt you. Go ahead, please. No, no, no. I think you made a good point. Oh. You made a wonderful point. But, you know, that's, that's Patricia, you know? I know. It's my practical side coming out. Oh, geez. 714-545-2071. If you want to win a very practical gift, <laughs> you can give us a call. From a practical town. Yeah. Is, is there not a story that goes along with having named that town? Uh-huh. There is. Tell it. There is. Well. Oh, but you can't give away the name of the town. I'm not going to give away the town. Um, Lubbin Abner was started in, in a small, in a state. I don't know if we should name it, because could, people could figure this out, maybe the That's town. Okay. That's okay. Okay. I don't care if they Google. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. What? It did come from Arkansas. Uh, Love and Abner were two very young guys, Norris Goff and Chet Rock, who were two young guys trying to uh, get started in the radio. And they started a local show in 1931 out of Arkansas. And it became very popular. So they moved up to Chicago. And that's when we started to hear the national prominence of the show. Uh, by, you know, and they would base the, they would base 
all the characters, it pretty much these two guys did all the characters. Uh, they did have a rule. Uh, if you ad-libbed off the script, you were responsible for getting back to the script. And the, how you, in the rule was, the uh, partner, the one that wasn't ad-libbing, would put the script, would put his hand on his chest, fold his hand on his chest, and just wait for the guy to ad-lib and bring himself back into place. And so that's how they played it. Uh, they they were fun and goosey. They, uh, they, they wrote their own material. Uh, until they hired a writer named Will Rogers, uh, yeah, Will Rogers, not the Will Rogers Jr., but uh, uh, another gentleman who helped start to script the show for him in midway in the 40s. So, 14, 15 years, they had their own style, their own writing, and they just started to create this, this mythical town. And they created all the characters in the town, they had the John Doors down the town. And so the hometown decided to have them come back and rename the hometown after the town that they created on the radio. And it still exists. I was looking at, uh, I had a project this year, I was looking at museums and national parks throughout the, throughout the country, and I was looking up, there is still a Lumen Abner Museum in this town today. And so if you Google Lumenander Museum, you'll probably come across this town. Um, people can contact it and go through it. Uh, it was interesting that this town also has some other museums which would be fun. Well, not in this town, but in the state of Arkansas had the, the Bob Burns Museum with the famous Arkansas Traveler, the guy who had a great story for the Craft Music Hall show was... Um, Bing Crosby, and the Red Rider BB gun, the Daisy Rifle, are created in Arkansas, and it has its own museum. I had no idea that it was that history rich. Yeah, that whole area down there. Anyway, so that should give you a, a hint uh, that if you can think of the t town that Lemon Avenue come from, you'll know. You'll know, and you might win a prize if you're good. Yes. 714-545-2071. Lumen Abner's hometown. You bet. Lumen Abner's hometown. Well, well, well. Well, Patricia, when you first tuned in to Yesterday USA, uh -huh. what caught your ear? I know, I know, you know, you, you stumbled upon it. I know how you found it. But were there some things that... Thinking back when you first tuned in, that really caught your attention. Was it a dramatic? Was it comedy? What was it? You know, for a person that had no background of radio, and you knew you heard the name Fibber McGee cause, through your mom, but you probably never heard of Fibber McGee and Molly's show before you ever came across Yesterday USA. Was there something right off the bat uh, that caught your ears? There were some detective shows that played, and I had heard people talk about Sam Spade, <coughs> excuse me, and Philip Marlowe, and I came across those two. But interestingly enough, the thing that really caught my attention and got me to Yesterday USA was one night I tuned in, and the auction was going on, and I had no idea 
what an auction was and how to conduct one on a radio. So I was really taken with that, and I listened for a long time. And that is, um, that, that's pretty much what caught me. I mean, you know how I found it. I was looking for talk show. And yeah. I, I tell people all the time I'm a talk show junkie. So I went to Live 365 and put in talk show, and up popped Yesterday USA, and it says news and talk. Is is the way it was listed, and this was you know quite a few years ago, and so when I tuned in and heard old time radio, it was a real curiosity for me. But it was the auction, and I can even tell you which item was being auctioned. Oh my! Okay, what was it? It was a handmade quilt that someone had done exclusively for the auction, and and you know literally quilted wow. um, this priceless piece of work. And that was the item that was being auctioned off. And continue, you do have uh, an interest in, in that. I bet you were fascinated that somebody would put up a handmade quilt, which you know, I mean, that's hours and hours of work. Incredible. Incredible. Um, it, it's, it's almost a career to do one well. And, you know, some of them have simpler designs than others. So, you know, some of them take more time than others. But there is no such thing as a quick quilt. It takes a lot of time, a lot of patience, and a lot of skill to be able to do one well. Wow. So I was really taken with the thought that somebody would do that much work for a radio station. That's how I got started. Wow. Yeah, kind of fun. I didn't see anybody before. Well, I'm glad you adopted us over the years, Patricia. Well, you fucks really adopted me. <laughs> Opened the door and said, oh, gosh, would you look at what's on our front doorstep here? Come on in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got adopted. You did. 714-545-2071 to know Lemon Abner's hometown. Yeah, I think Patricia might, help, might have a little gift in hand. And what we have coming up, we'll, we're going to feature the Yak Benny show. Uh, this one is very special to me in a way. Um, can you believe it, folks? I, I started getting to old-time radio in the 70s, and there were still AM radio stations playing old-time radio. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe it? What a novel concept. And the one I used to gravitate to was a station out of San Diego, uh, KOGO, from 8 to 9, Monday through Friday, we play old-time radio, and, you know, so from the talk radio to the sports to, uh, to old-time radio, you know, the radio, and just recently off my site that time, it was a big deal, country music, all that, and so, one of the things they always used to do, Christmas Eve, they would set aside six hours and play old-time radio shows. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, and... That, you know, from a kid who had 8-track tapes, who would try to record some of those things, the, uh, the, the first Christmas, uh, Fred McGee and Molly showed one we'll, we'll play in a little while. It's the one I, I remember them used to play, the, uh, the Chris, February decorating the Christmas tree. So they would play that, and they would play the, uh, they would play the, uh, the Christmas Carol with Orson Welles and Lionel Barrymore. Uh, they would play the Duffy Tavern where, he, you know, he, he, uh, where Gardner was just, you know, bah humbug about Christmas. Mm-hmm. They would, uh, 
featured a two-hour command performance from 1944 with Fred Allen and Jack Benny are going shopping and exchanging ties. Um, so, for many years, for three, four, five years, that was an annual tradition for me. And the uh, Jack Benny show that they always play uh, is the one that we're going to hear. Gosh, so it's got a connection for you, uh -huh. for me. Yep. I love that. It's a great show, and I think the visual of the opening scene is classic. Uh-huh. You know, that would make the show. The whole show is filled with word pictures, but there are some that are brilliant. Mm -hmm. it, it tells you, and if you think about it, the, the writing team, John Tackleberry, Milk Josephsberg, uh, George Balzer and Sam Perrin, um, they just got together fall of 1943. And so they started to produce these good shows. They started to get their feet going around 1944. And uh, this was, to me, of the early Jack Benny shows before from uh, 32 to 34. 45. This is the best of the early period, and you can see why I adore this show. And it's just what we're going to hear. Sounds great. All right, my dear, we're going to get into December 24th, 1944. The Jack Benny Show. Jack Benny program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Larry Stevens, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Tis the night before Christmas, and at Jack Benny's house, there are presents for all, even cheese for the mouse. Jack is up on a chair, then he's down on his knee. But you have to do that when you're trimming a tree. Well, we're all through, Mary. Gee, it was nice of you to come over and help me trim the tree. Well, if I didn't, you'd never get it done. Say, Jack, shall I put the snow around the bottom now? Not yet. I want to see if the lights are working. I'll hold up the bulbs, and when I say ready, you plug it in. me shot it off. Those lights were so pretty, especially those two blue ones that kept flashing on and off. Those were my eyes. <laughs> I must have been holding on to a bare wire. Well, it's your own fault. Every time you fool around electricity, something goes wrong. It does not. I know plenty about electricity. Oh, sure. Remember what happened two years ago when you fixed your doorbell? What happened? I pushed the button and it burned down Crosby's house. <laughs> Stop exaggerating. Anyway, hand me that roll of tape. Give me that tape. I'll fix this bare wire right now. Here you are. Thanks. Comes to electricity. I know what I'm doing. See, when you see a bare wire, you just tape it up like, like this. And that way, it's insulated against outside elements. There, that ought to be enough tape. 
All right, Mary, plug it in. Okay. Pull it out! I taped my finger to the wire. <laughs> that's what happened. Oh, gee. And that time it is even prettier than before. What do you mean? Your nose lit up, too. <laughs> it did not. Let's get this tree finished before the gang gets here. But, Jack, what about the light? We'll have to let that go until later. Now, hand me one of those... Oh, little... Mr. Benny! What is it, Rochester? I baked that cake like you told me to. Good. Did you have enough whipped cream to spell out Merry Christmas on top? Yeah. Say, boss, how many R's in Mary? Two. Oh. So you better add one. Add one? I better cross one out. I got three. <laughs> well, leave it. It's better than ruining the cake. Okay. Oh, Rochester, will you please take these Christmas tree lights and fix them? Fix them? Yes. I ain't fooling around with electricity. Now, what are you afraid of? I ain't gonna get hit by nothing I can't hit back. <laughs> oh, Rogers. Imagine being afraid of electricity. Suppose Robert Fulton was afraid of electricity. He never would have invented the electric light. <laughs> would he? Jack, you're thinking of Thomas Edison. Edison? Well, then, what did Robert Fulton do? He said, don't give up the ship. That was John Paul Jones. Now, let's not start that again. Now, Rochester, please fix these lights, will you? Okay, okay. Let's see. Now, in electricity, there's the electrons and the electrodes. <laughs> then there's the positive and the negative. But I am positive which one is negative. <laughs> Hmm. Then there's the atom. Now, the atoms are supposed to go from the positive to the negative. Or maybe they go from the electrons to the electrodes. <laughs> then again, maybe they go from Natchez to Mobile. Rochester. Now, as long as these atoms keep passing each other, everything is all right. Yeah. But when they meet halfway and start fighting... I'm not interested in the scientific details. I just want you to fix those lights. And I promise you, while you're holding the wires, no one in this room will turn on the switch. I know, boss. While I'm holding the wire, you ain't gonna turn on the switch. And Miss Livingston ain't gonna turn on the switch. Of course not. But way up there, Boulder Dam, is a little man sitting in a room with thousands of wires around him. What? How do I know he ain't gonna do something just to break the monotony? <laughs> oh, all right. I'll fix it myself. Go back in the kitchen. Come in. I'm looking for Mr. Benny. Mr. Jack Benny. Me? Yes. But you're a policeman. Well, now, what do you know? This blue uniform has given me away again. But, uh... But, but, officer... Mary, say something. But, but, officer... Is that all you can say? That's all you said. <laughs> Now, now, officer... Mr. Benny, I hate to be doing this to you on Christmas Eve, but I have a complaint about you disturbing the peace last week at Moore's department store. At Moore's department... Oh, that! Well, officer, that wasn't my fault at all. You see, first I had trouble with some crazy floor walker who kept hollering, Stop breathing on my carnation. And then... A little sour, please. I'm writing it down. Yes, sir. 
How many R's in carnation? One. And then some silly guy kept following me around, asked me what I thought I ought to buy his wife for Christmas. Now, I didn't mind it the first time or the second time, but he kept hounding me. And just before the real trouble started, I was standing by the perfume counter when all of us... I was trying to buy some perfume for my sister, Flora. Here's your change, sir. Thank you. Come on, Mary. Let's get over I beg your pardon, mister. Oh, it's you again. What do you think I ought to buy my wife for Christmas? I told you before, I don't know what you should buy your wife for Christmas. Figure it out yourself. Figure it out yourself, he says. Figure it out yourself. Fine Christmas spirit. Look, I don't care what you buy your wife for Christmas. Don't buy her anything. Don't buy her anything? We've been married for 12 years. What are you trying to do, break us up? Look, I don't know your wife. I've never seen your wife. What's going on here? What's the trouble? That man's been caught stealing somebody's wife. What? At your age, you gray-haired wolf. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Oh, it's you, my little cupid with the droopy-toopy. Now, cut that out and don't blame me for this because it's... Stop breathing on my carnation. <laughs> I'll breathe on it as much as I like. Stand up, everybody. The man is mad. You're darn right on that. And this is all your fault, mister. Ask me to buy your wife for Christmas. For all I care, you can buy her a dog collar. What size? What size? There you are, folks. You see what a crazy guy is, and you blame me. Why, it's not my fault. I'm not the type that would start trouble. I'm a peaceful home... Ah, shut up! <laughs> oh, come on, Mary. Let's get out of here. And that's... That's exactly what happened, officer. Believe me. By golly, it's amazing. It sounds like something you'd hear on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm convinced it wasn't your fault, and I'm going to forget all about this complaint and be wishing you folks a Merry Christmas. The same to you, officer. And a Happy New Year. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> Say, Mary, he was a nice fella at that. Yes, he? he was. Now, come on, Mary, let's put the presents around the tree before the gang gets here.
Now, Mary, we got all the packages under the tree. It looks nice, doesn't it? It sure does. Jack, if you're not going to use the Christmas tree lights, let's put on the candy canes. Okay, here's the box, and you can... Hey, wait a minute. I had 12 candy canes, and now there are only 11. Where's the other one? Don't look at me. I'm not looking at you. I'm asking you. All right, I ate it. Here's 10 cents. <laughs> Smarty, I bet you'd be surprised if I took it. I wouldn't be surprised if you sued me. Mary, let's get this finished, will you? Jack, you better pick up those lights off off the floor before somebody steps on them. Oh, yes. Now, where can I put them? You know, I'll put these lights up here on the chair. This chair right here. And, Mary, here's Rochester's present. I forgot that. Slip it under the tree. Boy, will he be surprised. But, Jack, how will he be surprised? You've got toilet water written all over the package. Well, you've got to do that with Rochester. When he opens the package and finds a bottle, he never stops to read the label. <laughs> last, last year, I gave him a miniature ship and a bottle, and the mask stuck out of his mouth for three days. <laughs> Every time I asked him something, he had to answer me through the crow's nest. <laughs> Believe me, Mary, I, I know what I'm doing. Well, Jack, I guess that does it. Tree's all finished. Yeah. Gee, it looks swell. I'm kind of tired. I think I'll sit down for a minute and smoke a cigarette. Mary, have you got a match? No. Oh, well. Oh, say, boss! What is it, Rochester? Are your socks dry yet? My socks? I think so. Well, people will be here soon. You better take them off the tree. <laughs> Oh, that's right. You take them off, will you, Rochester? I'm tired. I want to sit here a while. Yes, sir. Hey, this tree looks all nice, but it's kind of dark. Oh, no wonder the lights aren't plugged in. Uh, I'll fix that. Pull it out! Pull it out! Pull it out! <laughs> For heaven's sake. What's the matter, Jack? I was sitting on the wire. <laughs> as long as you're here, Rochester, give me a match. You don't need it now. Your cigarette is lit. <laughs> oh, yes. Thanks, Rochester. Don't thank me. Thank that little man up at Boulder Dam. <laughs> Rochester. I wonder how that guy at Boulder Dam knew I was... Oh, well. Uh... Come in. Hello, Phil. Hiya, Jackson. Merry Christmas, everybody. Same to you, Phil. Hey, Jackson, that Christmas tree looks terrific. Yeah, it is a nice tree, isn't it? Not only that, it's grown about two feet since last year. <laughs> Phil, this isn't the same one. You know, Phil, I believe in the old-fashioned way of getting a tree. I know when you get up early in the morning and bundle yourself up warm, and you throw an axe over your shoulder and go out in the woods, you know, way out in the wilderness and... Chop down your own Christmas tree. Yeah, you're right, Jackson. Where'd you find this one? In the lobby of the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. <laughs> you said it. Timber! Yes, sir. Say, Jackson, you ought to see the tree I got in my house. I got it all decorated, and then right on top, I got a big red star. A red star? Phil's supposed to be a silver star. I know, but this way I get five red points. <laughs> oh, Harris, you humorous. You're the Mark Train of your generation. <laughs> Mark Twain, Phil, it's Twain. Twain. Wheelie? (laughs) 
Bill, after a gag like that, your lucky Santa doesn't scratch you with his claws. <laughs> say, say, that was pretty good, too. Don't bother sending us Cracker Jack, Mother. We're now getting corn by the ton. <laughs> Oh, I don't know, Mary. I thought that was pretty cute. Hey, Phil, what do you got in that package there? Oh, I forgot, Jackson. It's a Christmas present for you. For me? Yeah, me and the boys in the band all chipped in and got it for you. Well, thanks, thanks. I'll put it under the tree. Oh, no, you don't. No, you don't. Open it up right now. Okay. It was certainly nice of you and the boys to think of me. No, I really didn't... Oh, Phil, thanks. Gee, a beautiful turtleneck sweater. Gee. Well, look inside of it, Jackson. Inside? Oh! Oh, Phil! What is it, Jack? A turtle. <laughs> Fine present. I'll fix him. Imagine bring me a turtle for anything, Barry. Come here, Phil. Phil, sit down on my chair. Well, thanks, Jackson. Are you, uh, are you comfortable, Phil? Sure. Good, good. Mary, Mary, push in the plug. Oh, Jack, you wouldn't dare. Hand me the plug. I'll give it to him myself. Hey, Jackson, what about my present? Yes, sit where you are. You'll get it. You'll get it. It's a surprise. Mary, watch him jump. One, two, three. There. Hmm. <laughs> Phil? Phil, don't you feel anything? No, why? Hmm. Well, what about the surprise? What's the matter? Uh, we're having a little trouble at Boulder Dam. <laughs> Mary, I, I can't understand what went wrong. Phil, stand up a minute. Okay. Let's see. There must be something wrong with this thing. Uh... Pull it out! Pull it out! thing to do to a guy on Christmas Eve. Well, it's your own fault for trying to play a trick on Phil. Oh, so that's it, eh, Jackson? Trying to give me a hot seat. Oh, it was nothing, Phil. I was just trying to have a little fun. Pull it out! Pull it out! Jack, that's a doorbell. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Come in. Hiya, Don. Hello, Larry. Oh, Don, Don, Larry. Hey, I'm glad, I'm glad you fellas were able to come over. Well, say, Mr. Benny... Yes, Larry. Well, last night I went to the movies and I saw a picture called Hollywood Canteen. You did? Yes. And you want to know something? What? You were in it. <laughs> yes, yes, I know, kid. I I happened to see the picture. Eight times. <laughs> what? On the days he can't go, he sends me. <laughs> Rochester. Between you and me, that seat never gets a chance to cool off. <laughs> Never mind. Well, say, Jack, I saw the picture, too. You did, Don? Well, Don, tell me, how did my violin solo go over? Well, Jack, this will amaze you. Really? When uh, you started to play, the man next to me got all excited and enthused. Oh, I get it, Don, I get it. You don't have to... Okay, Mr. Benny, I got the king coffee on the table. Good, come on, fellas, let's have a little bite. Oh, come on, come on. Take it easy, fellas, take it easy, take it easy. There's enough for all. Yes, folks, you don't have to crowd. Just line up to the right and have your ticket stuff ready. <laughs> Rochester, this is Christmas. Oh, yes, excuse me. Now, fellas. Hey, who can that be? Come in. Well, I'll be darned. Hi, little buck. Hello, everybody. 
well, what a surprise. Andy Devine. Well, who'd you think I was? Frank Sinatra? <laughs> Your voice and figure are both a little huskier, I think. Uh, hey, Andy, there's Don Wilson. Oh, yeah. Hello, Skinny. <laughs> Hello, Fatso. Oh, uh, it's the first time I ever heard a pop call a pop a pop. <laughs> Say, Andy. Andy, how's your mother? Oh, she's swell, Buck. Hey, you know, it, it's nice the way you think of her every year. Oh, I always call my friends around the holidays. Well, you don't have to worry about Ma. Buck, she wouldn't think of buying her Christmas cards from anyone else but you. <laughs> I know, that's why I always throw in a couple of extra ones. You know? Here you are, folks. Here's a... Oh, hello, Mr. Devine. Well, hello, Rochester. I'm glad you dropped in on the boss. Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without you. Well, thanks, Roch. You know, the holidays wouldn't be the same if I didn't see all of you folks. Those are the two voices that drove Gravel Gertie into hiding. <laughs> Say, come on, Andy. You're just in time to have a bite to eat. And listen, I've been saving a bottle of champagne just for this occasion. Let's drink a toast. Champagne. Oh, Come on, fellas, everybody. Oh, Rochester, give me that bottle of champagne. Here you are, boss. Shall I open it? No, I'll open it myself. Thank you. <laughs> now, let's see. <clears throat> champagne corks are so tight. <clears throat> see, they're hard to get loose. Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> Jackson, I'll pull a cork out. (laughs) Jack, Jack, say something. (laughs) Boy, here, Rochester. Rochester, fill the glasses. Yes, sir. Hey, fellas. How about a toast? Hey, I got one. Go ahead, Andy. A toast, go ahead. Here's to you, Buck, Mary, Phil, and the whole gang. We've been friends for a long time, and I hope it always stays that way. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Jack, can I give a toast, too? Sure, sure. Go right ahead, Mary. A Merry Christmas to everyone, everywhere. Yeah, Merry Merry Christmas, everybody! to give a toast to, Don. Uh, This is a toast to a lot of fellas I met in Africa, Europe, and the South Pacific. And to all you other boys out there I wasn't lucky enough to meet. Fellas, this is Christmas Eve, a time for happiness and good fellowship, a time when our hearts should be humble and forgiving. But this is war, and I've seen what you boys are up against on both sides of the world. I know the Christmas spirit must seem a very distant thing when you're crouched in a muddy foxhole or wading through the half-frozen slush. I know, too, that there's very little to remind you of Christmas inside a stifling tank or in the icy cockpit of a B-29 six miles above Tokyo. 
Maybe you feel it as something you lost long, long ago. Because the only Christmas lights you see are the burst of shells or the flashing path cut by tracer bullets. But, but Christmas is a spirit, a spirit that springs from within and is so strong it transcends even the ugly scenes of a battlefield and fills the soul with a passion to defend the things that are right and just. You are the ones who have gone to the ends of the earth to preserve the freedom you know belongs to every man, to hasten the day when all mankind can once again live in dignity and in peace. So here's to you, fellas. Merry Christmas, and God bless you all. Thank you.